just like I believe there was something physically wrong with me, clients believe that this was the end of the world. There's no way the market will ever come back from this or that they're going to continue to lose more and more money. And so once they're in that, that pain loop, that's where the knee-jerk reaction comes in. They sell. They go more conservative. They do the opposite of what they should be doing. They start getting more conservative as the market's going down or they get out completely. That's why I like relating the two. So the, the back pain, just the change, the one quick change of perception, the change of my thought process literally changed everything. You know, Just my lifestyle, my feeling healthy, my feeling you know, getting rid of, getting out of that pain and knowing that I did it just by having a change of thought made me realize that, wow, that could be so powerful with investments as well, any type of investments. And they're so interrelated. You have that knee-jerk reaction, you make a bad decision. It came from a state of unrest, a state of not knowing, a state of fear, intense fear. And I had those intense fear moments when dealing with this back pain. So this was my attempt to try to compare the two and tie the two together because it, it made so much sense to me that all that pain that I went through with my back and then coming around and realizing that it wasn't a physical manifestation. It was a psychological experience that was causing a physical symptom. Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way. And I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients. And I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into Confessions of a Financial Advisor. Episode 2, Healing Back Pain and Bad Investment Decisions. I'm here with my ghostwriter, Diane. Hi. Hi, Diane. Hi, Al. And this post was one that was real. Well, they're all personal, but this one was one that was an epiphany for me, which I've told you many times, I don't have many epiphanies in my life. Um, this is the only one I could really remember. So the lead up to my debilitating back pain, which culminated into you know, full-blown back surgery, um, if I can remember the term, it was called microendoscopic surgery, uh, where you're put under and it's about an inch incision in your lower back. In my case, it was a herniated disc of the L5-S1 vertebrae. 
so the lead up to the moment of surgery and you know to over a year's worth of just debilitating back pain the timeline is a little fuzzy for me but it started back nine years ago went through a divorce just very stressful time which many people i'm sure out there have experienced and in a complete daze to be honest in a daze of just not knowing what to do um i had a good job i made a decent living but you know you're moving out of your house now you're living in an apartment um your whole life just changes. You're going through just something that's ripping you apart emotionally and you're trying to carry on with your life. Just kind of getting back into the dating scene after, you know, you know, 15 years of being with one person. It was just, you know, very awkward, strange, stressful. Now I have a, a two-year-old girl that I'm trying to take care of and have no clue how to do that. Wasn't really uh, comfortable in that role as a caretaker. So it was just like a learning process, you know, before that being married, it was, you know, my ex basically taking care of the baby and me going to work. And that's, you know, with a lot, that's of a big change. That's a big change in lifestyle and day-to-day life experience. Yeah. Kind of like a shock to the system where, right. you know, now you have four days straight with a two-year-old and you're like, what do I do? Right. Like, what am I going to do now with her? I have to kill four days. It was just all about the clock at that point. Yeah. Just trying to run out the clock. So long story short, I dove into, you know, positive things. I, I always kind of leaned on working out whenever I was going through stressful parts of my life. It was just one of the healthy vices I've always kept. And so I decided to enter a yoga teaching certification program. So I learned how to teach yoga over a nine-month period. It was a 200-hour certification. It was great. It was great. It was a tough time. It was Yoga brings out a lot of emotions because um, you're spending a lot of time in your own head and your breath and you're releasing a lot of stuff. So it's very good for you. It just whew, it brings up a lot of stuff. Um, I began while I was having going through this, uh, symptoms came, started coming out with just lower back pain. Like, you know, I couldn't sit comfortably. I couldn't sleep comfortably. Um, it was just excruciating pain. I can't remember the moment it started because I think it was a progressive thing, but it got to the point where I, I couldn't get away from it. It was just 24 seven thinking about my lower back and just, um, you know, how am I going to get out of this pain going to physical therapy? So as many people out there who are dealing with lower back pain, in which I've ran into so many people since then, I can't believe what an epidemic it's become. So I went through the whole routine that everybody goes through. You go to the doctor, you go to chiropractors, you go to physical therapists. If that doesn't work, they put you on a small dose of pain meds. I think mine was called Tramadol. They didn't give you anything heavy duty. Um, it was just to kind of curb the pain. And then you know, physical therapy, stretching, doing whatever you could just to kind of get through it. You know, from that point, it's a system. The last thing you do before you're, you get qualified to have back surgery is you have to have three epidural shots. So basically this, and this goes across the board. Anybody you ever talked to before they had back surgery, they had to have these three epidural shots, which at that point, when you get to the point where you're doing epidural shots, you want surgery. You're in so much pain. You can't get away from it. It's, it just takes over your mind, your life. You're just 
you can't you can't think straight. I mean, even you know, talking on the phone or trying to work, you're constantly in pain. You're constantly adjusting your body to get some kind of relief that you, it just doesn't come. Um, you know, so the only thing you want at that point is just to make the pain stop. So yeah, pain meds, therapy, epidural shots. Finally, they you qualify for surgery. Um, and I've never heard of one person that's worked for. I've heard that people have gotten a little relief from them, um, but it hasn't been a cure. But for whatever reason, that's the way the system works. You got to go through these that's three. That's the prescription that they give you. The- yeah, you can't have surgery before you have these. So I guess, I mean, I'm sure there's circumstances when you can. If in a chronic kind of pain situation, it was the epidural shots. Um, and so what happens is, you know, of course, you do an MRI and the MRI shows, you know, where the pain is coming from, supposedly, where the pain is coming from. So they'll, you know, on this chart, they're showing me this little black dot. The black dot represents my disc and the disc is pressing on this nerve and they've like literally pinpointed exactly where supposedly the pain is coming from. And I, I believe this. I mean, why wouldn't I believe this? I, I know nothing about medicine and I know nothing about the spine and how pain works and all this stuff. I'm, I'm just in pain. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't understand how this works. So obviously you're listening to a doctor. He's reading the chart. You're just believing what he's saying. Why wouldn't you? So yeah. So going through all this and before the surgery, the one, one instance that I remember that I talk about in the blog post is I'm going to a yoga class that I'm going to teach at the YMCA. And it's early morning class. I'm there at 5.30 a.m. I get out of my car. And as soon as my foot hits the ground, my back spasms like a bolt of lightning hits me. And this chronic pain, I literally just drop to the ground. And what you do is you're trying to stretch out because it's just right. spasming. And I'm literally laying on the ground in the parking lot about to walk in to teach a power yoga class you know, to a group of 20 people. And that's such a powerful visual. Like I remember writing about that and just being struck by, oh my God, the ultimate irony, like that you're taken down in the parking lot by back spasms as you're about to go in and teach this power yoga class. Like, yeah. yeah. And I, I couldn't get up. It took me about five minutes just to stretch out long enough to get that spasm to go away so I can get up, get into class, you know, and I, in a day is barely remember that class. I was probably just walked around the room and guided them. Usually I would do the class with the students. This one, I definitely did not because I was terrified of having another back spasm. Um, it was very embarrassing. I mean, how, you know, think about it. I'm a yoga instructor. I, I look like I'm in good shape. And then I'm going to drop to the ground in writhing pain in a yoga class. It just, again, it was one of those things that it was, it felt humiliating at the time, but it was like the embarrassment, the embarrassment. Right. Look, like I'm, I'm a yoga teacher. How could a yoga teacher have debilitating back pain? It's almost, it, it's like the opposite of what you'd think a yoga teacher would ever have. Right. You know? Right. Um, and the emotions of shame and. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point there was one last instant that happened. I was at home alone and another one of those giant spasms happened. And this one was a lot longer. I couldn't, I literally couldn't get up. It's, it was just, it goes off in your back and it's just this lightning shock of pain 
that is just completely debilitating, completely immobilizing. And I was home alone and there was nobody around and I didn't have my phone near me. I was literally just laying there terrified that the pain wouldn't stop, that I would never be able to you know, get up. Obviously, after some time it did. Um, but at that point, I, I would just lost my mind. I, I kind of, I was so freaked out and so at the edge. I was literally at the edge of my sanity with that because I didn't know what to do. It was coming over me in unexpected times. I was terrified to go anywhere. And I just remember this panicked feeling of thinking, what if I had my two-year-old daughter right now? I, I literally uh, cannot get up. Right. Um, and so I just, I almost lost, I was to the, you know, at my limit. And I think it was like that desperation, that desperation moment where I just, I got online. I'm like, I have to find out what this is. I got to figure this out. Somebody else must have gone through this before. Right. Did a ton of research, finally landed on, again, this is all long story short, but landed on this guy, Joe Sarno. And he has a book called Healing Lower Back Pain. You know, <laughs> there it is, you know, very simple. And he, there's a couple of things he mentioned that just triggered the epiphany. It was just one of those first thing I remember, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the exact passages, but number one, he talks about, he's like, you, he's like, you do realize that there's women in China that are in their 80s and 90s that are out in the fields all day, like pulling crops and like, like hard physical manual labor yeah that, like on their hands and knees yeah. like in the sun and like you know and they don't have any back pain but you're a 40 year old man and you have back pain does that strike you as odd and i remember thinking to myself i'm like wow that kind of makes sense what how would what i'm not a 90 year old woman like and she like, what's my excuse that. right right like why <laughs> so yeah it just started the wheels start turning of why like why is this happening to me and then he, st- he goes into like a little more of the physiology of it. He's like, you realize there's millions of nerve endings in your back or in your spine. And then he goes on to say that, you know, every, if you took an, an MRI of just five random people, probably three out of the five would have some sort of like herniation or bulging disc. And maybe none of them, one out of the five would have pain and the two others wouldn't. So there's no correlation between the physiology that they're talking about and the pain that you're actually feeling. And I was like, wait a second. I'm like, how is that possible? It's, wait, I thought it was physiology. I thought this was science. This was, you're showing me it. It's it's physical. You're showing it to me. It's on this chart. You've done this x-ray. And now you're showing me where the pain is coming from. And I, I could see it. I could identify it. It's right there. It's right there. And you can cut me open and you can fix that. That's what I thought. That was my belief system. And then the last thing he says, which like blew my mind, he's like, what you need to do right now, he's like, you need to go outside, do some strenuous exercise. Like you need to just go for like a run. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, I haven't gone for a run like in a year and a half. Like I've been like gingerly nursing myself. Well, because the conventional wisdom for healing is take it easy. Don't stretch. Don't stress yourself. Like walk, walk gingerly and just don't overdo it. And so this guy is then proposing the polar opposite of conventional quote unquote wisdom. Yeah. No fast movements. Like don't do that. Oh God forbid. Don't even roll over the bed quick. Yeah. Go run. (laughs) Not even jog. Like go, he's like, go do, you know, weightlifting. He's like, you got to read, you got to change the neural circuit. You're on this pain loop and you got to change this. You got to break this, this loop that's going on. 
And I just remember it for whatever reason, it all made sense. And in that moment, I believed it like 100%. And I remember I tied up my shoes, went out for a run, still had all the pain. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Mm -hmm. I was taking those steps. There was a few jolts where I was like, you know, real jolts of pain. But I just kept telling myself, it's not true. It's not. I remember just saying this mantra, like, it's not true. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're Mm -hmm. a strong person. Your back is fine. And from that point, I mean, it's been over five years now since, you know, I guess the day that I went for that run, maybe it was like six years. Again, timeframes for me are a little bit fuzzy, but what I realized was that it's almost like a psychosomatic thing that happens that brings out a physical symptom. Right. Like a physical manifestation of whether it's internal beliefs or mindset or ruminating thoughts, like what you focus on expands type of thing. Yeah. And if you want to focus on the pain, you're going to keep reinforcing more of the pain experience. Yeah. And the the tension that you're feeling psychologically or internally is going to come out in some way. Right. Whether it's like, you know, back in the fifties, they used to say it was ulcers, right? Everybody had an ulcer back in the fifties. Like if it's like that mad men generation, everybody's drinking and getting ulcers and you know, that would, and then like it, it, then the 80s and 90s come, it turns into depression. Nobody has ulcers anymore, but everybody mm. has depression, you know? And now, like, the back pain thing is becoming, like, an epidemic like it's that. It's so pervasive, yeah. So, oh, there's clinics all over. I mean, I Everywhere. drive down the road. It's, like, the spinal surgery clinic and the, mm-hmm. you know, back injury. I'm like, It's become going? a big business, though. Huge. There is a lot of money in that business. Huge business. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so this whole post culminated from the idea that, wow, the same thing's happening like in the investment industry. Like when I talk to <laughs> clients and they're telling me their hard beliefs, you know, I've listened to the experts, I've heard from three experts and they said, this is what's going to happen. And, you know, now I have this feeling that, you know, with the recession's right around the corner. So I really want to just cut my losses yeah, or just, you know, I want to lock in my gains because it's not going to go up from here. I'm like, wow, that's kind of what I did. I did that same thing, believing that my back pain was from a physiological impairment. Like there was something physically wrong with me. Pointed out to me from an expert. Here it is. It's right on the screen. You see it? I I see it. I believe there's confirmation that, you know. And it came from an authority figure, the doctor. The the doctor. quote unquote expert who must have all the answers because doctors never get anything wrong. Of course not. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't know my own body, right? I mean, they know my body. You're only the one living in your body, but yeah, that's (laughs) what do you know? That's right. So it, it, and it goes back to the thing we, we talk about a lot about beliefs. Like we hold so tightly, those ones that are so like ingrained. The stories we tell ourselves that unless and until we open up even a little bit to questioning their validity, they have a stranglehold on us and we aren't even aware of them. That's a great way to put it. It's literally a stranglehold. It's, yeah. you don't see it. Like you're, you're just, it's a blind spot. It's like, you don't even, absolutely. you don't know you're in that story while you're in it. Right. Until you see this other perspective for whatever reason, when I read a few passages from a book that just, and I, th- you know what I think? I think like the desperation of that moment brought me to a place where I could kind of open up. Where maybe you were just a little bit more willing to consider a different 
approach or a different perspective on it. I think so. Yeah. Cause I mean, it, I, I think back before that moment happened, I'm like, wow, why couldn't I just have that epiphany a year before, you know, like <laughs> missed the back surgery or would have, you know, a whole year of like just excruciating pain would have been gone. Yeah. If only I'd end my marriage, you know, or not, or decided not to marry my ex, you know, if only I realized it 15 years sooner, but you know, you don't yeah. see it until you're ready to see it. And yeah, if only I'd created this business, you know, 10 years ago, but yeah, I wasn't, you know, until you're willing to open up even a little bit more to shifting mindsets, beliefs, you're just, you're never going to have the ability to make those shifts and changes. And you and I've talked about a lot with clients that openness and willingness, you don't have to be completely wide open, but you need to be a little bit open to considering a different perspective. You do. I mean, it, we were talking about psychological flexibility. Like you yes, need, I love that term. It comes from a, there's a system called ACT. I don't know if you've ever heard of ACT therapy. It's ACT. It's acceptance and commitment therapy. Okay. Um, I saw, so I went to a therapist of mine, um, recommended that I go to this uh, conference that was for therapists. He wasn't mm-hmm. going, but he, he knew of this conference and it was ACT therapy. Yeah. It's this guy, Stephen Hayes. Stephen Hayes wrote a book. Um, can't think of it off the top of my head. But anyway, he's the one that came up with ACT therapy and he teaches this system to um, therapists. Mm-hmm. It has to do with cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. but it's called acceptance and commitment therapy. And it's just a way of having mindfulness and being aware of your thoughts. Yeah. It's definitely Buddhist kind of based. Being you know, present real- in the moment and, and yeah. witnessing, being the observer as opposed to identifying and grabbing onto the crazy thoughts. and yeah. yeah. Like one of the things they talked about is being, imagine yourself being a person watching you. So like you're right. two people and now you're the person that's observing you. Yes. You're not the person in your body. You're somebody looking at yourself. Right. So it's almost like the second person. And that always get that always made sense to me for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It made sense that like, oh, like so all the thoughts that are going through my head, they're not really mine. I mean, it's not I could look at this from an outside view and be like, look at it objectively rather than subjectively, that that I'm always thinking like it's from in- within it, yeah. From taking more of um and I think isn't that why we hire professionals to get a more objective perspective on things? You know, I mean, that's why I hired my book editor. I'm like, I can't be the one to edit this. I lived it. I, I, and I wrote it. I, I need someone outside of me to help me. And you got too much invested. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. way too personal. Yeah. 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 That's that. That's the whole idea behind, you know, financial advisors, real estate agents, personal yeah. trainers, like they're. Of course, you want somebody that cares about you and cares about your well-being, but they're not emotionally attached to um, your stories or your beliefs or your mindsets that are so familiar to yeah. each of us. Yeah, you want them to understand, but yeah, you want them to have that distance. You can't. You don't want somebody emotionally attached when you're. You know, you want somebody that has a business mind when you're in a business transaction. Right. I would think. I mean, right. Going into a house. And you want it inspected. You want to make sure that it's safe and that, you know, the roof's not leaking. And right. I want somebody looking out for all that stuff. 
And yeah. I don't want, because to me, I'll walk into the house and I'll be like, this place looks amazing. And look at the view out the window. And I'm looking at all the wrong things. Well, you're, yeah. And it's, and I, I was always the real Sadie. <laughs> would tell people things they didn't want to hear. They're like, why are you pointing out the flaws? And I'm like, cause I want you to get the whole perspective and not like, let go of the damn countertops. Like stop. I mean, you're not yeah. buying a bathtub. It's you're buying the whole house. <laughs> Yeah, or I love like the idea of somebody buying a new car and like they're like, oh, look at the cup holder. It's so amazing. I'm like, <laughs> like the cup holder? Like you're spending 50 grand on a car. Right. You worry about right. the cup holder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, again. Well, and it's, we talked about it in the post about the value of whether it's a financial professional or advisor. You know, the real value is their role as an illuminator. Um, and not just mm. an illuminating truth, but in illuminating and and helping to question what may not be true. Yeah, you're not always just looking for direction of what's true or right. techniques and strategies of what to do. Mm-hmm. You want to know what not to do. You want to know yeah. what to look out for. Yeah. Again, How being to those, avoid those the blind spots. Those blind spots. Um, right. That's and, and it's kind of the whole reason I've, I've thought about this pose for so long. Ever since I've had that last episode of back pain, I've literally thought about this every single day, every day. Because um, mm-hmm. I think to myself, I'm like, wow, I'm like, not that, you know, I'm going to be the one that exposes this. I mean, this guy, Joe Sarno, was very famous back in the day for, you know, this book that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, I guess it didn't catch on or people don't know about it or people mm-hmm. don't realize that especially with something like so important, like having surgery. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, like a little scratch. It's not like a haircut. It's like (laughs) invasive procedure. Yeah. They're literally cutting into you. That is risky. I mean, it's very risky. They're putting you under. Yeah. Yeah. You're under anesthesia. You're doing the whole thing. And what if they make a mistake? I mean, like that with, you know, with your spine. Right. Yeah. Hit something wrong there. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought it was just so important to, and that's why, like I, I was telling you, I feel like an evangelist <laughs> with this because anybody, and I hear, of course, it's one of those things also when once you have it, then you realize, you know, so many other people had it. Mm-hmm. Like once you got divorced, you were like, oh, so many people that are divorced. So many people that are divorced. Like yeah. Yeah, they're just everywhere. I never realized until yeah. I became one of them. And that's right. Yeah. So yeah, same with the back surgery community. So yes. many people now clients are coming out talking to me and, I must have had four or five clients over the last year tell me about either having back surgery or they're going to have back mm-hmm. surgery. And I'm always talking about this book. I'm like, just, I'm like, it's not going to hurt you in any way. Just read it. Right. If it does for you what it did for me, fantastic. If it does zero, then you know, no. Then harm it hasn't done. hurt you. It's just yeah, yeah. But those epiphany. So I don't think everybody's going to have that epiphany that I had. And I do think it came out of the intensity of the moment that. My mm. mind was just like, I'm open to anything at this point. You know, just, I'll try anything. Just so at a point of such desperation for relief, just, and maybe that was then an invitation to be just willing to consider a different perspective. Like I'll try anything like, right. Cause it's such a vulnerable experience of being physically incapacitated, especially when you're home by yourself, you know, it's like, what do I do? I mean, yeah, it's vulnerable. And I think like the dark side of this, like the dark side of the whole back surgery thing is that there's probably people on, you know, pain meds 
for like mole, you know, just years, like for probably like the rest of their lives. Cause they believe like, you know, they have this back pain. There's nothing they can do about it. They're addicted to opioids, you know, that's based a whole on, other topic it, of conversation, the whole pharmaceutical industry yes. and lack of morality and ethics, but yeah, yeah just give them a pill, write a prescription. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, and, and the way I relate it to like the whole financial industry is like, the opioids or like that, that killing that pain, like mm-hmm. it just dulling it. Well, they're numbing. Yeah. And like, numbing is for me is like the people that sit in the money market account because they're scared of the markets. Yeah. You're just numbing. Like you're, you're not getting to where you want to go because of fear. Right. And so you're just basically turning off. And shutting down and allowing limiting mindsets and fear based beliefs to keep you stuck and in the same pain loop and habit loop. Right. Because it's painful. Like when, when you're losing money, it's painful. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it literally is. It I mean, it does not a, feel good. It's it, no, it's, it's not a, a fun fit, experience. Yeah. Because when it's not happening, it's just a cerebral, like you could read it on paper. I'm like, I oh, yeah, 30% down. No big deal. Yeah. But when it's happening, it becomes a physical, like you feel nauseous. Like you, yeah. you, you could literally make yourself sick thinking about, I mean, again, we will relate back to like the Great Recession, you know, people losing their homes. I mean, that's mm-hmm. huge. And that's like a, it's emotional. It's, it's a safety and security. It's like a basic human need to have a safe space to live. And when you're losing that, I mean, it's just shakes your entire foundation. And yeah. You feel very exposed. Yeah. You feel very vulnerable at mm-hmm. that point. And so with that vulnerability, people, they want to stop the pain. Right. And I don't want to ever do that again. And, and that actually was me right after my, or separation for sure. I was like, I don't want to do that again. Like, and so nope, nope, no to any kind of relationship. Mm. But then that kept me stuck. It was important for my healing, but there came a point where it was like, all right, now you're just holding yourself back. Like you can't just stay here forever, but I always wonder like why the amount of time that it takes to get from one place to another, like, mm-hmm. why does it take all, like you could make, you, you could make that choice right in the moment. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, again, back pain, I could have made the choice at some point. I could have read that book and had that epiphany a year before I had the surgery before I had any, all that pain. You could have chose to get right back out there sooner than that. later. Right. Why, why do we, why do we have to put ourselves through so much emotional turmoil to get to a, <laughs> a turning point where, you know, we make a decision or we do what's best for us. Mm-hmm. It seems to be like a, that's a theme. At least it's a theme in my life. I think it's a theme in most people's lives where to shorten those, you know, those windows, like, are you going to spend 10 years after you get divorced, not dating anyone? Right. I mean, you, you can, you can, you know, do you want to, is that what's in your best interest? Is that good for you? Right. Um, why not wait well, a year? <laughs> so there's a, a question I love, like, what if, and you know, our negative bias minds like to go a little doomsday scenario, but well, like with your experience with back pain, like that to me speaks to almost an epiphany of, well, if that wasn't true, what else might not be true that I've kind oh, of blindly goodness. unquestioned, like Ye- opening up and explaining like, well, what else might be possible? Like, hmm. Oh, it opened up Pandora's box for me. Yeah. It was just now it was just like 
it goes right back into that book of opposites. So it's the idea of like, man, every pretty much everything I thought of, I think might be the opposite. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, so I thought it was physiological, but it was psychological. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's kind of like the opposite. I mean, it's, I thought it was this concrete thing I could see on a screen, but it was just something going on in my mind that was just like kind of. Sp- that was manifesting yeah. physically. I mean, divorce and, and a young child and a lot of chaos and you had a lot of other chaotic things happening at that time in your life. I mean, the amount of stress that that, those experiences bring, of course, why wouldn't they in some ways manifest physically? Yeah. And I come from like a stoic kind of family that, you know, you just stuff it, you know, just stuff it all down, just right. get on with your life. Don't yeah. show emotion. Don't try to get this out in any healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the, like you said, the manifestation of it. The more you stuff it down, it's going to bubble over at some points. Yes, it uh, will. It is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the things I've I've been thinking about a lot, and I kind of learned this through therapy as well, was that that back pain was more of like a panic attack of the back. Oh, I love that way of explaining it. And it literally like kind of came to me in a therapy session. I don't know why, like I had the, you know, that thought, but it was like the same feeling. And I'm I'm somebody that's had panic attacks in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, then I realized I'm thinking of the experience of both, like the panic attack and then like the those debilitating back spasms. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it was identical. Mm-hmm. So like all, you know, the panic attack was in my chest where you feel like you're, you're short of breath. You feel like yeah. you're going to die. You know, you just can't, you, you're hyperventilating. You can't seem to get, you're just, it's complete fear. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. The same sort of thing happened in that moment. It was like a blast, like a lightning strike into mm-hmm. your back which was so, so comparable in my mind to a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wow. So it first manifested as a panic attack. Now it's manifesting as bad. I'm like, I'm starting to get it. And like to this day, even though I said I, I didn't have back pain up until now, I could feel when it's coming. Like I could feel a little twinge mm. once in a while. I'm like, oh, and it's just, it's a trigger. And I think right. to myself, I'm like, something's going on. I'm holding on to something. Get your butt out, go for a run, go do some yoga, go walk around in nature. You have to now take care of yourself. So I literally, anytime I feel the twinge or any kind of like something, I can feel it building. Same thing with panic attacks. You can feel that anticipatory Mm -hmm. anxiety and it becomes like a trigger where you're like, all right, this is my... It's time to take a break and it's time to move or work out or express or allow this, um, these emotions. Cause they're essentially just emotions. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to know, even when it comes to finance, it's not about eliminating ever feeling fear because you're going to experience some degree of fear. It's not about eliminating any amount of back discomfort or any amount of anxiety in our lives, but it's about what do you do? What choices do you make when you notice that starting to come up? And so it sounds like now when you notice tension arising, you know that the healthy way to move through that is to take certain actions that you have found beneficial to you. It's true. It's become like an alarm bell or like a reminder. An indicator, which is what emotions are. They're indicators. They're not good or bad. They're just indicators. It's so true. And I never, I honestly never knew that. I I never knew that. (laughs) I wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago. 
Um, they are indicators. I always thought they were just bad things, you know, like. This right, is or that a I'm a bad person for feeling this. Like, no, I'm having a human experience here, you know. It's- or just fight it, like get rid of it. Like, I don't want this feeling. Just mm-hmm. get rid of it. Not like thinking like, oh, how is this? What is this trying to tell me? It's right. It's telling me something. It's just your body communicating. Right. Um. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a lesson that it took me 46 years. <laughs> All these like 46 year lessons. 35 to 40 and up. Yeah. The, 35 to 40. The wisdom that's available. Yeah. Comes through that age. time of life. <laughs> 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 Not necessarily for everyone, I would argue, but it's always on offer to us. Very true. Because <laughs> <laughs> you and I have had a lot of conversation about people who go through their lives just rigidly clinging to their old stories or old beliefs, just never, ever reaching a place of opening up to questioning, blindly questioning. Well, that's the way it's always been done. Oh, really? Well, might there be a different way to do things? Very true. So we were also talking about the religion thing and how we both grew up, you know, we're both the recovering Recovering Catholics. Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did the whole, you know, communion, confirmation, baptism, the whole thing. Yeah. And um, my mom, even like people in my family would always say like, you know, when I would tell them, well, you know, I don't really believe in that. Mm. And they would ask, well, you have to believe in something. Like they're horrified. Horrified. Like, what do you mean you're not choosing an option? Well, and if I tell them I don't believe, they're like, well, you're just young, you know, you, you will someday, you'll come around and, you know. Yeah. And I always thought like, why do, why do people that have very hard, you know, beliefs, very rigid beliefs. Very set well, in stone mindsets. and They can't comprehend that you don't believe something. Yeah. Or that you don't, you haven't made a choice. Um. Like, it can't just be this open-ended, you know, I'm still discovering. I'm still trying to figure it out. I think you are too, but yeah. you've decided to take this hard line. I'm just that, not- Right. You've chosen to affiliate and belong to this group. And that's cool. Like, have fun with it. Right. But I don't need to check a box or belong to, I don't need a title. I don't need a, but it's part of people's identity in some way, in a lot of ways, I think. And I see and that so, that's kind of where the problems come into play with whether mm-hmm. it's investing, whether, I mean, there's so many different areas of your life. If you're not open to, if you have this rigid, hard line, yeah, it just, it's, you're completely can be blindsided at that point because you're not open. You're not flexible. Mm-hmm. It's like the idea of like cutting water. Like you can't cut water <laughs> you can cut like a rigid tree, you know? Yeah. Um, or like, you know, I always think of like the palm trees, like, you know, in the hurricane kind of thing, bending. Because they're so incredibly flexible. Right. Right. And the trees that get taken down are the ones that are rigid. Yeah. It kind of holds true for well, <laughs> the, you know, belief systems. <laughs> I actually wrote, I wrote about hurricanes relating to my ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> Like the hurricane's going to come through. There's blue sky behind it, I promise. But there's going to be some collateral damage and it's going to leave some debris behind. It's just a matter of how severe it is and how long it's going to take to clear it up. Wow. <laughs> Let me go. I can I can create an analogy. Hurricanes, yeah. Uh-huh. Storms are going to happen in life. It's, it's inevitable. Storms are going to happen in the, the finance markets. They're going to happen in the economy. They're going to happen in people's personal lives. Storms come through. 
it's a matter of how flexible are we willing to, to remain. And that's not easy to do in the middle of a storm. It's no. very challenging. Yeah. Cause I think your, your knee jerk reaction is to hold on tight, you know, to grip mm-hmm. tighter, tense, you know, right. lock down, you know, and you start to realize that it's working against itself. Like it's, mm. you can't, especially when it comes to like an anxiety, like you can't, like the more you fight anxiety, mm-hmm. the more it, comes. It, gets. it just gets yeah. stronger, which is so strange because like that means, you know, your natural reaction to it is counterproductive. Well, you and I've talked a lot about the fight or the flight survival instinct kicking mm-hmm. in and, and that's really dangerous to stay there because mm-hmm. it's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. But it's, and it's all based in fear. And then the opposite of that is just completely letting go. Surrender. Completely. I mean, if you could literally do that at the moment, and I was telling you about my mom too with the cancer. Yes. You know, how she was diagnosed with cancer two and a half years ago. The oncologist looked at the pathology report, looked at me and said, listen, I'm sorry to say your mom's got, you know, probably three to six months at best. We can't do any kind of chemo radiation. This is two and a half years ago. Still alive today. Uh Uh-huh. And... I have to believe, I mean, again, I'm not, it's hard to think of any other type of reason why she's alive, except that her dementia is so bad that she doesn't even realize she has cancer. It's not even a consideration in her mind. It's not even on her mental radar. Nope. So there's no dwelling. There's no anxious Mm -hmm. thought. There's no, I have to get rid of this. There's There's no fixation. There's no obsessing and reinforcing and... So it's not even like she's consciously letting go. It's just not even there. Like it's right. off the grid. So not talk- that we want to encourage that people should be walking around with dementia like symptoms. I mean, because that's not necessarily an ideal way to live either. But this yeah, but it's a it's a powerful indicator of the power behind our thoughts and and our minds. And yeah, and, and the power just of letting go, the power of not having any tension whether it's emotional tension or psychological tension or, you know, physical tension, my God, physical tension creates all kinds of problems. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's counterintuitive it's a, it's to counterintuitive. what we're taught and it's counterintuitive to what our culture has led us to believe. And a lot of times you and I've talked about it, a lot of our, of our similarities in childhood and growing up and those formative experiences and, and healing from that. And, um, yeah, the things that we pick up as kids are not necessarily truth. We think they are. And unless and until we start opening up to questioning some of those stories and beliefs, we're going to stay stuck in repeating them. So true. That's a, probably a good way to end it, Diane. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> a good way to end it. Um, the power of mindset. This post, I think we talked about in one of the other, one of the first episodes that you and I did together is, you know, mindset. It's everywhere. The stories we tell ourselves. Yeah, we live in an alternate reality. Like there's there's a reality and there's what we put onto it. It's like what we add to reality yeah. becomes our reality. It's so interesting because you, you automatically think what you see through your eyes is the way things really are. Is the truth, the one and only truth. Right? Yeah, and it's just, it's all these storylines that go yeah. on in your head. Yeah. Well, we're going to parse through all these storylines at some points. <laughs> I think every post we do has something to do with like the story kind of mindsets. Um, it has that slant to it. Yeah. I like heard all kind of ties back to this 
What's going on in your head? What are you creating? Like, What, what you- stories are you telling yourself about? Even just, you can have an event that happened. And even if you're not arguing about whatever happened, what stories are you creating about the meaning of that? And that all happens within our own minds. Yeah. And sometimes it's subtle. Like sometimes it's not very often it's subtle. Yeah. You're not literally like saying the words in your own mind. Mm -hmm. Like literally it's just this, like on, like in the background, there's just this story going on and it's calming yourself down enough to like see what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think that's why people always, you know, talk so highly of meditation. Just, you know, just slowing down, see what's like, start observing your thoughts. If you can't get any distance, you have no clue what's going on. You're just, you're unaware. You're, you're caught in the middle of the tornado You're and you, can't, the you don't yeah. have the, in the middle of the hurricane. Yeah. Well, Diane, thank you. I appreciate you. your time. Yeah. This, this has been great. A fun conversation as always with two very seemingly disconnected topics. I love the blending of those. Right. Healing back pain and bad and investment decisions. <laughs> I have to say, yeah, I hope there's no other blog post that with the same title. I don't know. I, ha- I haven't read any. I have to think it's unique. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the title of our next blog post? Do you have that available? Uh, so we can tell them what we're talking about next week. Uh, the next one that I have in line was Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yes. I'm excited about that one. I have a long history with Tony Robbins. He doesn't know about it, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I grew up with Tony Robbins and, uh, you've had um, a long relationship. A long relationship through cassette tapes, yeah, mm-hmm. cassette tapes, and awaken the giant within. You know, mm-hmm. his one. I think that was one of his first books. I We're dating thing. ourselves because you, you know, I both are familiar with cassette tape. There's a whole generation that isn't doesn't know what a cassette tape is. I mean, I literally like wore those cassette tapes yeah. out. You know, when you listen to them like more than like a hundred times, they would like they eventually break down. And, they break down. Yeah. They fade, and like the tape actually gets yes. like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a. It's not like a disc. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, not digital. Disc. I'm saying disc. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with our uh, Tony Robbins posts. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.